So I found on Pinterest this like chore chart that we can use for our future children and we can fill in like the tasks that we would have them help out with. So what do you think we would have on the list? Definitely mopping. Mm Mm-hmm. Vacuuming. Yep. Cleaning the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Making all of our martinis at five. Right. Um, Probably window washing, right? Uh God forbid we'd have a lawn to mow. Yeah. Um, Corking in the wine. Mm Mm-hmm. Carrying it out in the ice bucket. Serving Uh, it at dinner. Yeah. Um, Not embarrassing us in front of our friends. And... Making their beds. Yep. And then after dinner drinks. Yeah. Of course. Okay. Yep. Sounds about (laughs) right. Welcome to Mad Men and Tonic, recapping Mad Men one workday cocktail at a time. I'm Christina. And I'm Elias. And sometimes I wonder if Christina <laughs> is ever going to do the intro. I think we waited like five seconds there. I get nervous. <laughs> oh, but man. here we are, back yes. again. Season two, episode two. Yes, flight one. Right. And this is a doozy. So yeah. luckily, the episode was kind enough to provide us with a drink suggestion. Yeah. And it's a classic. So, how do you make a Tom Collins? Okay, you don't smash the cherry on that. Just plop it in at the end. Try to keep it in the top of the glass. Gin. Thank you, Don. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, based on this, I assume you just pour, you put a cherry in a glass and then pour gin on top of it. Gin in one cherry. That is the <laughs> traditional recipe. No, <laughs> actually, <laughs> this is a recipe that most cocktail drinkers are familiar with because lemonade is... The universal solvent of uh, mixers. <laughs> it's one of the greatest things ever invented. But the Tom Collins is a simple cocktail made with gin, lemon juice, sugar, and carbonated water. And it is dates back to at least 1876, if oh, not dang. further back. It was first memorialized by Jerry Thomas, the father of American mixology. Though hmm. from my reading, it seems like there is controversy uh, over which side of the pond... It came from? This drink originated. Huh. Um, Anyway, the simple ingredients, you take your, uh, what's called a Collins glass. It looks like a highball glass. You could even use like a, just a pint glass for Mm -hmm. this. And you uh, go ahead and add two parts uh, London dry gin, one part fresh lemon juice, um, a half part of simple syrup, and you stir that all together, uh, add in some ice. Then you pour club soda to fill the drink out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get basically a lemon gin fizz uh, yeah. at its most basic. And then you can garnish with the lemon wheel. And as Don told uh, Sally, a maraschino <laughs> cherry as well. Yes. Don't smash it. What do you think the odds were that she made the, a good Tom Collins? <laughs> Does she um, already know this? Was this her first time making She must. Have, that's the thing is there. if he just told her gin, she must have known other information about it. Apparently better than her muddling skills, which Don shits on, too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know. We'll get to that scene. I think yeah. that she's become 
based on her her short life with the Drapers, has probably become a pretty good mixologist. Right, yeah. I'm um, pretty sure a good lesson she learned is not to disappoint Mommy, and making a bad Tom Collins might be at the top of the list. Yes. Yeah, Tom Collins is, like, when I first started, like, drinking at bars, like, when I first turned 21, it was one of the drinks that I would have, because I think because I'd watched Mad Men, and that was, like, one of the drinks I remembered, and it was something easy enough that I could, like, replicate at home, and um, my parents would indulge it, so, yeah, um, they're good, Yeah. very gin-forward, but also, yeah, like you said, the lemonade really makes it an easy drink. Mixes well with the juniper and the gin, um, <laughs> so... Yeah. If you're going to try a gin drink, this is probably the one to start with. Mm-hmm. All right. Now you're Tom Collins. You're going to need a few. Yes, cheers. cheers. All right. So this episode opens with one of my favorite narrative devices in real life events, a party, <laughs> a house party. Yeah. In this case, it is hosted by Kinsey and a lot of other um, Sterling Cooper people are there. And everyone is aghast that he lives in Jersey. Yeah. Like He's, he's that guy. <laughs> yeah. They're all like, oh, we had to leave the city. We couldn't find a place to park our car. Right. The disdain for New Jersey by New Yorkers is <laughs> as old as the United States, right. I think. Yeah. You know? The disdain for all the other cities around New York by New Yorkers. I think that's just part of the the tradition of that fine city. Yeah. You've got everything you need there. Why do you need to leave? Yeah. You know, basically, is right? how they feel about it. And it's like this very... He's like a, a proto hipster, you know. He's like, I'm living in New Jersey because it's like contrary and like unique. And everyone, he has everyone drinking out of mason jar glasses at this party. Yeah, a little ahead of his time, it felt feels like this, <laughs> this time around. Yeah, huh? he's hip. I like this scene because you can see like the what people would wear to like a party in this time. You know, it's different than their like work attire and what like the housewives are wearing. Like this is like young twenty people in their twenties, like what you wear to a party. Trudy's a little overdressed, I would say. Uh, but it's so formal. I mean, even the men are still all in some sort of suit variation. Yeah, just like you know? funky, like plaid ones instead of, yeah. you know, basic. Smoking jackets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's it's weird. I'm so glad that most parties are not like that anymore. I wish they frankly. were, but I understand the sentiment. <laughs> um, yeah, so Trudy's dress is like this. It has like a dark purple bodice, and it's almost like a velvety-looking material or like a really rich fabric. And then this big, like, pink, blue, and green plaid skirt, like a taffeta skirt and a belt around it. It's, like, a very, very dramatic look. But, right. Um, they kind of, and then they kind of, like, you know, they're teasing Paul a little bit, who is dressed even more ridiculously than usual in, like, paisley scarf, tweed blazer, unbuttoned blue shirt, and his... Big old corn cob pipe. Yeah, he goes all out. It is his party. He needs to be over the top. People are ribbing on him a little bit for, like, why do you live out here? And, you know, he tries to explain that there's, like, more to the people culture. Right. And the, when the obvious answer is probably it's way cheaper. Yeah. But, you know, that's not cool to say when nope. you're an account exec. No. Or a creative, I guess. Yeah, he wants to be edgy. And then there's, um, like, any house party with people in their... 20s people are trying to get it in yeah no it's (laughs) it's definitely you know post-college still got those vibes though yeah so ken is like chatting up this girl that works she works at sterling cooper and she remarks that she can't feel her cheeks and then he's like i can feel them just fine and she throws down this really clever little line 
my mother says when you can't feel your cheeks, it's time to stop. Wow. Yeah, well... Ken's a bit aggressive in the scene, so... Yeah, but it's and, good advice from her mother. Yeah, and... <laughs> when you start to feel numb in the face. And Kitty and Sal are just having their, like, eavesdropping moment on both sides of the hallway they're in. Obviously, the party's going very... It's like a It's wild. One, yeah. It's kind of a rager, yeah. Yeah. But, of course, every party has a pooper. And this one is a su- surprising one. Joan. Yeah. yeah, Joan really brings the... Brings it down a little bit. Right. Um, I mean, number one, her boyfriend's not there and she can't show off her, like, you know, handsome doctor boyfriend. So she's obviously annoyed about that. She wants to brag about it. Number two, it's Kinsey's party. We know they have a history. Yeah, you, she Those just doesn't things. seem to come in with a good, anything but ire. Yeah. yeah, and then it only builds. Right. Now we learn that Paul is drinking you know everyone else got like the cheap beer or whatever but paul has a special reserve he's drinking yeah a roan gallagher and basically paul says that it's like from a sunken ship in 1870 it's sunk in 1871 yeah and the champagne it's champagne yeah apparently they pulled up the stuff from the dive site and then there was these like a few cases of champagne, and he was someone that was able to buy some of it. Right. Um, and this isn't, like, uncommon, I guess, because just last year they pulled up a ship in Sweden that was carrying the Tsar's last shipment of alcohol before the revolution. Wow. Uh, hundreds of bottles of cognac and Benedictine liquor. They are te- testing to see if it is still drinkable, or they were as of the time of this article by Live Science. And if they are, I think you can make a lot of money selling these. Yeah, but I'm going to go ahead crazy. and not drink shipwreck liquor, but I I respect the clout of that, I guess. Well, that's why they test it, to make sure yeah. that you can drink it. Yeah, but did they test this these bottles in the 60s that people like Kinsey could just buy? Where do, you, where do you even buy That's that? That's probably why he's living in New Jersey, because he bought this Sends bottle. All and this he can't alcohol afford, and, like, yeah. vintage <laughs> he can't, af- he can't afford to live in New York and foot his rare alcohol bill. Yeah. Um, if you're going to spend money on something rare, you'd think you'd want something more sustainable. Yeah. Like longer lasting than, I mean, you know, we would not, buying expensive alcohol for us is almost always a mistake, because it never lasts. Well, except know. for, like liquor that we drink regularly and you don't want to just like drink the shit you drink in college and feel bad the next day right like i buy like nice vodka because i drink it like in cocktails all the time right but But like wine no but you don't it's not even that nice of vodka (laughs) it's like kettle one is a good solid medium level vodka and if you want us to sponsor (laughs) be a sponsor on this podcast we will talk about how fucking nice it is (laughs) No, yeah, no, I know. Um, also, how, yeah, I mean, nowadays you buy this stuff at auctions, and so it does beg the question if you went to an auction to get this. Yeah, and I don't know. I've never been to a, anything but a silent auction run by a school. And when we go to silent auctions, we're usually drunk, and that's the best way to do it, and we get a bunch of stuff. No, remember that one that we went to at the beer festival? Yeah, we won all the prizes. Yeah, we have this, like, <laughs> two-foot canvas of, like, a photograph of, like, a riverbed that we put in our bathroom. Yeah, and then we got, I, bought, I got a fly fishing lesson, too. Yeah. And it was, like, 
These were the only two prizes they were giving Yeah, we, away. We, we were just drunk. We bid, like, you know, a good amount on the most expensive stuff they Oh, had. man. Um, good stuff. But they yeah. last, and we still have that. Mm-hmm. I love a silent auction. Another thing I miss these days. <laughs> really, anyway. So, <laughs> so then we meet, or Joan meets Paul's girlfriend. Paul's girlfriend, his name is Sheila, and she's a black woman, and... Joan, what would you say about this? Like I said, someone has to ruin the party. And basically Joan, yeah, just makes some really like um, comments of poor taste because they've got racial undertones. Mm-hmm. And it's to... Well, it's to her. Pa- it's to, to Paul's she... girlfriend. Yeah, and, when, mean, and after Paul leaves, then Joan is like... Wow. The last thing I would have taken Paul for was open-minded. Yeah. It, it's just not. Which Joan's... is like your boyfriend's being like performative about like, you know, racial politics. And now that he's gone, I'm going to talk to you in a nasty way. Yeah, and it's bad it's because really all Sheila's trying to do is make a good impression and like meet Paul's Yeah, co-workers. she's like excited. Yeah. She's like, oh, it's nice to like, you know, meet everyone that he talks about at work. And she's really polite and... Yeah. She she works at, like, a, a supermarket, and Joan is really condescending about that, too. She's like, well, maybe one day you'll get to, like, drive in and in your station wagon and be a customer. And she was like, I've been a customer. I, like, grew up here. Right. You know? Ugh. Joan, Joan, Joan. And, but Sheila takes the high road, and she, even though she's, like, she bristles at Joan's comments, she's like, I love your purse, you know. Let's, like, make this neutral, and I'm not going to be the, I'm not just going to throw throw mud just because you are right and that's when the party continues to spiral <laughs> people need to, people need to start going home yeah but they haven't yet and first first cosgrove points out that um paul has stolen a typewriter from the office and he's like that girl almost got fired like someone else at work got accused of this kinsey shows little to if any regard for that yeah he's like well she didn't get fired yeah <laughs> Like, well, yeah, but her reputation was besmirched (laughs) because of you. Yeah, and then Peggy. Peggy has also been macking it with some random dude. And they're getting, like, you know, frisky in the hallway, making out. He's, you know, they're talking about whether she's going to go home with him. And she asks why he should, why she should. He says, because I like you and we're having a good time and I'm a good kisser and I know you want to. And she yeah. gives him the ice and says, I'm in the persuasion business and frankly, I'm disappointed by your presentation. And then just taps him like, thanks, bud. And bye then bye. walks away. Tap him on the head. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the party, a classic party, it was a weeknight apparently. The next day they show her in her same dress from the night before, like hungover, her alarm is going off and she's just like uh, like her head under the pillows. Weeknight party in New Jersey. That's like a how I met your mother episode that goes with <laughs> Yeah. Bad. I think that is trouble. a legitimate how I met your mother yeah. episode. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Just oh what a disaster. I mean, and sometimes, you know, back in those early days, you just had to go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so the next day they go back in and, you know, Roger and Don didn't go drinking in New Jersey, so they're having a normal day. They get into the elevator and Don, or I guess Roger, is com- kind of complaining about how busy the streets were, and that's because there was a parade for Colonel Glenn. 
Yes. Um, so we all know, well, at least of our generation knows who John Glenn was. Mm-hmm. Um, but we probably know him best. We he was a he was a congressman as well. But uh, he went up into uh, space in 1962 on the Mercury Atlas Six. Um, this was named the Friendship Seven, the spacecraft, and mm-hmm. it was carried to orbit by a launch vehicle, and then. Uh, after three orbits, it re-entered the Earth's atmosphere and landed in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, they were up there for four hours and fifty-five minutes, basically. Wow! And it was a big—it's a big deal. Like we said before, we've been losing the space race. Yeah, and we're um, seven years pre-moon landing, so this is like the, one of the big—the yeah. big events of space. Right. So, space and, travel. It, and it also dates us as being right after February twentieth, nineteen sixty-two. Um, so. Yeah, but I think what we knew him for, I don't know if you got to do this in elementary school, but we got to watch him because he, I believe he became the oldest person to go into space and he went back up when he was old yeah, in the 90s. Familiar. Yeah, um, so that's what Roger's complaining about and he just really puts it beautifully when he's like, you know, do I get a parade for pulling out of my driveway? Driving around the block three times and then pulling back in. Yeah, because he doesn't think he's a true hero because he wasn't like in combat. And it's like, yeah, but he went into space. Yeah. Um, and Don, Don describes him. He says, "I think he's a winner. He's got square a square jaw and false modesty. It looks like he just took off his Letterman jacket." It's like, are you describing him, Don, or yourself? Right. You know, he's got those those old football, yeah, football old football look. Is it so? Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> Decide if that's just him, like egging Roger on. Yeah, yeah, I think he some of that. Doesn't really care. Um, but the tone does change almost immediately from successful flight to unsuccessful oh, no. flight as Don and Roger come into the office. Everyone's huddled around a radio, and we learn that American Airlines Flight One has crashed. And this was a real, a real event again. Yes, this occurred on March first, nineteen sixty-two. So now we're in our time frame. Yep, and. It crashed into Jamaica Bay two minutes after takeoff, killed all 87 passenger and the eight crew members aboard. Ugh. Cause of the crash, the basic summary was improper maintenance and manufacturing defect that led to a mechanical failure. That must be, that, that kind of thing must be so scary to people watching then when it's like, number one, we don't like totally trust air travel yet. And number two, like the, you know, the frequency of these types of events is just going to make us more nervous about it. Yeah, I don't know the danger, like the data on that, but you know, one thing that's not old is people making tasteless jokes about tragedies, and that's immediately exactly upon what we them see. occurring. Just yeah. one after another after another. Yeah, I mean, flight. at first everyone's horrified and like you know everyone is watching and they're upset, but then one of the rats like makes a joke, and then it's like who can make like the yeah. most like disgusting one upsmanship game. Yeah, and, and I mean, okay, you know, sometimes people need to deal with stuff however they can, but I, this seems just like a continuation of the party from the night before. Almost, yeah, with yeah just they're probably the, just still the way things drunk. got thrown out of whack. Yeah, and when I guess one thing that was like notable about this, like this particular plane, is it was New York to LA, and so, and again, because air travel in that time wasn't really um, affordable to everybody, there was like a lot of well-known people on this flight and like you know some military officers some executives someone was carrying like sixty thousand dollars in cash and like an olympic sailing medalist and so 
that is probably another reason why this got a lot of attention is like some notable people were, yeah. were killed in this crash right it sticks in the memory and it's very new york centric too mm-hmm. so when donna roger walks in and they see that everyone is just crowded around the, t- the radio or the tv first first roger wants to fire everybody because <laughs> he doesn't know what's happening and then second don is always he's always thinking about you know the next step and the next move and he right. realizes we're gonna have to pull stuff for our airline even though it's not american airlines we don't want advertisements for mohawk to be running at the same time that all these stories about air airline crashes are happening right his first thought is the business mm-hmm. and how this could affect them how can tragedy affect the bottom line yeah. sound familiar it's, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a whole area where people are employed now in like crisis management and public relations. And yeah. Don is, um, he's not being like necessarily insensitive about the tragedy, but he knows that he needs to act fast. Right. And this is like almost immediately like validated because in the next scene, Duck, that's the first thing Duck says. Is yeah. Don better? You know, ground everything there. Yeah. So it's exactly what he should be doing. And is it either Roger or Cooper's like, he knows that. Yeah. They're like, don't denigrate our creative director. He, like, understands the implications of things. Right. And getting the sense from these first two episodes that Duck and Don aren't... Seeing eye to eye. Yeah. That higher... That hasn't aged as well as the characters have in this show. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, there's just a little scene of an initial meeting with Duck, Roger, and Cooper, not with Don there. And Duck, while also thinking about this kind of consequence issue, is also thinking about opportunities in light of the fucking tragedy that just happened. Right. He called his friend that worked at American Airlines because they were a client at his previous job. Just wanted to see how they were faring in light of the news. How they were airfaring. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's like, "Oh, they want to shake up now. They, this is like not good." So, but they, they might need a new advertiser. Right. Very grim. Very capitalist. Blood right. in the water. Yep. And if these you will. three, these three guys are all just licking their chops. Mm-hmm. Even Cooper's like, "Ooh, yeah, tragedy." Cooper is eating like. A strawberry shortcake or something. Was it? It was, it was something like it's like it a looked bento like a cherry. Box, I thought it, it had was, like yeah. cherries. It looked sweet, like just something bizarre. In his little square tray thing. Yep. But yeah, so that's you know they're talking about it, but Don's not there yet, and we'll see what Don has to say. Right. So more about the plane crash. Pete gets a call where he learns that his his dad was on the plane. Yeah. Good thing he wasn't making any jokes during that earlier scene. No, I think right? that he did. He was I the was, one that... Oh, I was joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was really, I was really <laughs> concerned, like, no, he did. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's so horrible about it. Yeah. yeah, that is what's so horrible about it. And he's just kind of, like, dazed, and he, like, takes a drink in his office and just big swig and, like, leaves it on Hildy's desk and then just kind of wanders out into the office and looks out at everyone. Right. It's pretty brutal. Um, interesting that the actor that played Pete's dad, Christopher Allport, died mm. unexpectedly in an avalanche oh right God. around this time. And it's actually who the 
in memory of at the end of the episode is it's about him so so it makes you wonder if they what you know not to demean someone's death but whether this was an original part of the plot device or something that had to be come up with very tragic but yeah pete's just kind of floating yeah he's totally in shock he you know he eventually kind of in his state like wanders down to don's office um lois is a shitty secretary so she just lets him like wander in without even checking right the she, door's she has open no control and... over don's visitor yeah you no. have to say like he's... she's not a good secretary yeah but she's learned well you don't know how long she's been there i guess we assume since peggy got promoted is that what we're gonna assume so like i don't know that's like a year and a half now but yeah struggling. she's a little <laughs> just treading water at best yeah but he kind of comes in and you know, at first Don's just not really paying attention to him, and he's just kind of like still looking at his paper while he's like, "What? What's going on?" Like, and he, yeah. and then Pete tells him, he's like, "I just got off the phone, and it was the strangest thing, but my dad was on the plane." Yeah, takes Don by surprise, and of course Don gets right up and goes to uh, pour some drinks and kind of lets Pete just. Start talking. Talk. And he talks about, you know, like the last time he saw his dad was at the Paul Mole Barbershop, which is the oldest barbershop in New York. So, of course, that's, you know, where they go because they're an old New York family. But it has been open since 1913. Crazy. Yeah. What's crazier, that that's been open since 1913 or that the oldest barbershop in New York has only been open since 1913 when that city is... 400 years old yeah that is that's true but I wonder how much their stuff costs now christina's surfing the website right now <laughs> a gentleman's haircut price upon request no i'm kidding it doesn't, it doesn't have the price so it doesn't have you a, tell it doesn't me say that but uh yeah right and, and they do like a straight, razor sh- straight razor shave and a specialty children's barber oh i thought that said bong trim <laughs> <laughs> like what children are going there yeah so it's like an OG New, New York spot. But anyway. Yeah. And it's like Pete's just like reciting memories. He doesn't have any he, emotional he, reaction really. Yeah. But he does add. And I think that rattles him. Yeah, yeah. He says, what if I don't cry? Like he's having, you know, a crisis of like, what if I'm just like a person that doesn't cry when their dad dies? Right. Because, you know, we've only met Pete's dad the one time when it, he basically called him a prostitute. Yep. And refused to give them money for, for a the, down payment, even though payment. it seemed that they could afford it. It seemed that they could afford it. Yeah. And so we don't get the good sense that they had a great relationship anyway. Um, but, I mean, Pete's... What do you even do? No. Like, yeah. You know, when you get that phone call, who knows? And Don is kind of giving him, like, the the proper advice. He's like, you know, you need to go home and be with your family. Yeah, drink this, and go home, take the day off. Yeah, and, and Pete's like, is that what you would do? And Don says yes, but you're like, hmm. yeah, Pete might be onto something that Don himself, we know, we know, the viewer knows that he has, like, no family attachments. But Pete right. is kind of like, are you the type of guy that's, like, going to cry when your dad dies or not? Well, didn't he have an emotional reaction when he found out his brother uh, died by suicide? Yeah, so yeah, that's true. I think it's a post hoc yeah. reaction which is why don's like you need to go now so you don't regret it yeah you that's know? true he that's... says that there's life and there's work they're two separate things so therefore pete should attend to life 
And you can tell that Don kind of, even though he gives Pete shit a lot, especially in season one, that he feels badly and he's trying to kind of give him, you know, yeah. some, some comfort. So far, it seems like their relationship has improved vastly since the events of season one. And you wonder, first two episodes. Yeah. And you wonder how much of that was like the fact that Peggy didn't like immediately get into her role, you know, that she got the promotion, but then Pete probably had some time to adjust right. because she was away. Yeah. And we saw them working well together in the last episode, talked about the Clearasil. So yeah. that seems to have, well, to an extent, yeah, blown things over. Are, but there is yeah. a scene in this episode that we'll get there because now Don has to go into the meeting with Duck, Roger, and Cooper to discuss getting into business with American Airlines. And unlike the other men who all see this as like a big opportunity, which to be fair, you know, it's a national account. When Don finds out that... Basically, what would have to happen is they would have to dump their client Mohawk in order to get even just like a meeting or a foothold with American. Don is like very against this. Like his sense of loyalty is to like the client that they have that likes them, that like trusts them. Yeah. Instead of expanding. And that pays the bills on time. Bird in the hand, worth two in the bush, right? Yeah. So Don's like – and Don has this moral streak which – I question the sincerity of that a bit because I think Don feels like he's being Pushed triangulated by yeah. yeah, by the other three. And I think he almost makes the moral stand because he's upset about being overruled. But I mean, mm-hmm. Don's position is perfectly valid. I mean, they have this airline. Mm-hmm. Why would we kick them out for a chance at a bigger airline? But the other ones are like, uh, because it's a bigger airline. And not only that, it's American Airlines. It's a yeah, huge airline. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the way that, like, Don reacts later on when he has to, like, deliver the news, I feel like he does have some sort of, like, sincerity. And I think that because, you know, he is such a, a figure at Sterling Cooper, like, the relationships he's developed, I think, are important to him. And Well, yeah, and we'll talk about that scene because it's interesting how the writers decided to sequence it where we don't find out that much we don't find out at this point don's relationship with the clients mm-hmm. in fact he doesn't even bring that up it's this article except that or excuse me in this argument except that they trust us and they pay us yeah you know and it's not even like a sure thing from american it's he says a wink he's like you're yeah. gonna throw away a, a client with a million dollar billings for a wink from yeah someone that might not even give us a meeting yeah, so. he's like, you just, like, sorry that, like, bodies in the water didn't make me think, oh, like, what's the next business opportunity? Yeah, Don is taking a moral kind of stance here, not just, like, a business, like, well, we've got we've got money now, like, let's not waste that. Like, he's objecting to, like, abandoning a client for, like, the prospect of more. It's an old school business versus like a new bloodthirsty capitalist. Yeah, even though Don is the youngest and newest to the game yeah. of the three of, of the four of them, probably. But there he goes. Yeah, and let's just say the way it ends, Roger's like Don will be alright yeah. once Dom storms out. So we know where this is going already. Unfortunately. We know. Yeah. So Pete actually took his advice, it seems. Went home to be with family. And, ah, yes, we've been to this old manor of a, of a house before, haven't we? Yep. And, of course, you know, Pete's mom is always, like, pearls. Like, she's an old 
preppy. Yeah. You could say she's always clutching them as well. <laughs> Indeed. In, in the scenes that she's in. Yeah, so they're having this kind of like family gathering with Pete and his brother and their mom and then each of their wives. And it's uncomfortable, it's, as you can imagine. Yeah, it's just weird. Um, and because no one really knows how to act or how to react to Pete's mom's attitude. I yeah. Guess. She's already just mostly concerned about the logistics. And the details. Yeah. And it might be just kind of a way for her to, you know, latch onto something concrete to not have to think about what's going on. But, like, she, at one point, she, like, points to this, like, ceramic pink elephant that they have on the mantle. And it's like, what is that? I want you to have it to Trudy. And Trudy and, is just clutching it nervously <laughs> for the rest of the scene. It's like such an old, older person cliche. Like, when they confront their mortality, they start giving things to yeah, the younger people. Or, like, identifying, like, when I die, you can have this, yeah. like, bracelet. Yeah, my, like, Jesus. My Greek grandma does that all the time. Like, <laughs> I don't need them. Take them. Yeah. Like, I'm going know. to die I don't soon. want this ceramic pink elephant. I don't know what to do with this. But Trudy, she's going to take it. Yeah. And then... Bud's wife is a real piece of work. She's like Trudy's like politeness on steroids, but without the kind of like edge and like, you know, lightness and humor that Trudy brings. So she's just like Ms. Manners. Right. It's so weird. But this is the first time we've met Bud, am I mistaken? Because he wasn't in that scene earlier. Right. Because Pete threw him under the Yeah, the he's bus, like, Oh yeah, because Bud killed yeah, that killed pedestrian. someone driving in Montauk, like drunk yeah. probably. Yeah. So we, we meet the, these guys, and they are, you can tell, classic older brother. They just have a little more odd demeanor to yeah, them. Yeah, they seem like they're, more, like, quite yeah. far apart in age almost, like, at least five years. Yeah, it's tough to tell. I can't, I don't get too many vibes, because that's not the important thing that we learn in this scene. The, yeah, we learn about the skeletons. <laughs> the skeletons. The skeletons. <laughs> that oh. have been uncovered. Nicktoon mystery here. The skeleton. Uncovered when Pete's father died, when they're trying to, you know, just do the, just like the very initial parts of the affairs. This isn't like, you know, months later in probate court. This is like immediately we look into the money and immediately we learn that dad has spent all of it. Guess what? All of it. He didn't have any money. And the mom, who we know from New Does Amsterdam in the first season, is one of the oldest families in New York. So she has old family friends. money, but well, guess what? He spent yeah, it. Because he was the president of, of the, the trust. trust. Which, on one hand, when you're that rich, you should be considering not only a prenup, but also not fucking giving your spouse the trust. I'm sorry. No offense, but if I had that much money, I wouldn't let you sign all the checks for the trust. Was any prenup, was prenup <laughs> even a thing in 1960? Well, when they got married, you would think in 1930, 1920-something, right? Yeah. Was that even a thing? No, the man gets married. The man gets all the property. He's yeah. in charge of the property. Right, right? but it's still just like... It's stupid, fuck. obviously. And then they're just asking... They're like... The little chat they have is like, was there a woman? Like, they're in the, in the corner, the, like, no. under, like, hushed breath while, like, the women are all chatting. And they're like, we have no fucking money. Yeah, and they're like, what did he spend it on? Oysters, clubs, and travel. No no mistress, nothing like that. Which is like, you know, they just, almost wish there was a mistress because they're like, at least that would make sense. Right. How did he blow this much money on? Yeah. And we don't actually ever get a vibe of how much money they have. But yeah. they're in all the elite institutions, you know, Pete has connected himself to yeah. all of them throughout yeah. the show. So, so far. 
Yeah. So, but it's like, yeah, they've yeah. been living like a Y, basically. It's like when the Bluths keep their membership, but then it's like de- downgraded to like pool only in Arrested Developments. And then they're still going to go to the pool, you know, to show that they're like in the mix. Doesn't Lucille gasp when they bring her ketchup on the plate? Yeah. <laughs> and then she tells, she tells the server that... Because he, he touched her glass in a way she didn't like. And she's like, if I wanted to taste your thumb, I'd lick the inside of your ear. <laughs> Which is just disgusting. Something that you might see Pete's mom Mother say. say. Yeah, yeah, she's a very Lucille Bluth <laughs> type, but a little less hard-edged. It's a gift of Mad Men that they can put some humor into this scene with just the way people are acting. Yeah. But back to the Drapers. Yeah. So Don arrives home and finds out that the Francine and Carlton are coming over that night for cards. He's yeah. not happy. You know what? It should be a good thing to introduce into an episode surrounded by tragedy. A second long-form party scene. Yeah. And that's exactly <laughs> what Mad Men decides to do here. Yeah, it is bizarre. Um, now, we know Carlton a bit. And we don't... We, like let's him. just say we don't like what he's thrown down. We love Francine. Yeah. So... And we saw Francine last episode. Yes. But Carlton, I mean, the last we heard about him was, A, that he presented a shitty Valentine's Day for Francine compared to Don <laughs> getting a room at the Savoy. And then before that, that he was cheating on her with some floozy in the city. <laughs> Got as, a floozy in the city? As Francine would tell it. But uh, Don's, like, clearly not happy. He's like, I'm going to go lay down. I can't believe it. we just did this. Yeah. Um, the kids want to stay up and hang out, and they are going to just get to say hi, which means make the drinks for the adults. Do you remember that as a kid when there'd be people coming over, and mm-hmm. you always wanted to stay up and hang out with the adults, and then you couldn't? What a mistake. But you didn't, actually. And then, yeah. But you would, like, boring. stay up late and, like, watch them, like, you know, listen on the stairs and stuff. Yeah. And it was boring, but you just wanted to know what was happening. Yeah, you, you might find some secrets. <laughs> yeah. Or some presents yeah, that they'd have know. hidden for you. Um, yeah, so this is like another drink lesson for Sally where she – are they making old fashions at first? What are they making at first where it's muddled? Yeah, because Dawn says that she should have muddled the cherry, and I really can't think of another drink that you'd do that off the top of my head. Uh, except, cherry, yeah. Except in an old fashioned. Like, because yeah. you don't muddle fruit in many other drinks that I can think of that are, like, not tropical. Yeah. We've talked about that in our old-fashioned episode, how I don't like to do that. But you don't like to muddle it, but it no. is traditional, right? No. Or, no? no? I can go either way. It's yeah. a preference thing. I don't think it's the traditional way to make the old-fashioned. We did discuss it at length, um, and that was episode one. Uh, that's We looked up the history of that drink. When we have kids, you can teach them. <laughs> How you want your cocktails made. I would not trust my children to make <laughs> me a drink that's serviceable. But Carlton like, does weak sit, yeah. weak sauce? Yeah. Come on, what do you think I'm, 12? What do you think I'm, your age? What'd you put in there? Kool-Aid. <laughs> but Carlton's nice about it. He's like, yeah. my drink's fine, sweetie. He'll be nicer at the second one, which... Yeah, after your well, dad gets a little drunk, he'll I guess up. it depends on the parent. Right? Yeah. But then she, then he's like, run along and take mommy's order now. Oh, no. Yeah, and Don is wearing another, just like last episode where he's wearing these, like, looks that we haven't seen him in. I don't know if this is just a function of AMC getting a higher budget for clothing the following season and having a little more variety and they're not just not repeating the same charcoal suit. He's wearing, like, a sweater vest. 
Yeah. Just a strange look for Dawn. It's very only at home in the suburbs. It's a dinner party look. Yeah. Don't want to wear a suit all day, all night. Mm-hmm. But I'm just remarking that it's unlike what we've seen him in in the past. Last yeah. time they had a party, Sally's birthday, he wore a blazer. That's true. And bought a golden retriever. Polly. Polly. What a good <laughs> dog. And then old Carlton really gets the brass tacks of what he wants to talk to Don about, which is their the babysitter. Hot babysitter. That's in high school, and mind Don, you. Yeah, and Don's like, I don't know that I like where this is going, but I kind of do. <laughs> I so want to know a little go bit. Go on. There's not like a an inappropriate element yet. It's just really a matter of Carlton talking about how like hot he finds the underage babysitter. And how it's a conspiracy against him by Francine. Uh, it sounds like he's like been working to get out of the doghouse since the end of the last season when Francine found out about his floozy in the city. Yeah. And he just rips through a bunch of analogies. Yeah. He's like, I took her to the Bahamas, and now she's like got this pie cooling on <laughs> God. Yeah. It's really disgusting when you think about it. Yeah, because, again, but, not that it'd be, like, okay if it was, like, a 20-year-old, but he's talking about a high schooler. Right. So we really have to just keep putting that in perspective that it's, like, yuck. And then yuck. he says it's, like, Darkness at Noon, which is a novel about... Uh, Russian political prisoners after Stalin took over. Which is a little dramatic. Yeah, a little, a little dramatic. dramatic when you're talking about the babysitter here, but okay. Um, yeah. And then we get Sally coming in with the drink order. Cheers, Tom Collins. And Cheers, that, everyone. Yeah, and that is where we learn how you need to get the cherry in there per yeah. dawn. Just plop it in there. Then Peggy goes to visit her mom and her sister. Brings Brooklyn. Them a, yeah, brings them a vacuum. That's nice. Was it their vacuum? Yeah, I guess I couldn't tell if it was like, I borrowed your vacuum, here it's back, I think was actually what happened. Yeah. When you're starting out, you're 22, you gotta rely on your parents for some stuff still, and that is the good vacuum. Yeah, seriously. I mean, we just moved and we're like, you know what we need is a good vacuum. Yeah, well, we registered for one and everyone was like, that's expensive. So we have the dumb dust buster that's like 60 bucks, that's like red, that's like half effective it worked once we figured out why it wasn't working which is that it was clogged <laughs> with a gigantic hairball well, i've had that thing since college Christina's so no surprise <laughs> gigantic christina hairball and clogged it up <laughs> and the thing is i have like you know short to medium hair for a woman so i think you would be aghast at the amount of hair i would generate if i had long hair yeah I mean, Seats. I already am. I, a guest. Yes, I'm a guest. A guest. <laughs> anyway, so Peggy comes over and she's wearing this little kind of like jumper overall dress with like a little print top underneath and big red buttons, like her her typical girlish style. And then her mom immediately starts like ragging on her about not coming to church. Yeah, it's such a, the way they frame this scene is so interesting because it's like, for a show that can be so vibrant a lot of the times with its shooting, this apartment is so dark Mm, and so brown and beige and colorless. And it's like, Peggy coming back here is like, this is what I... What I left. Yes. Yeah. And she's like moving out, you know, she's moved on to like, and she's having an exciting life where she's like working at a big a cool 
hip company and her family just doesn't get it. Right. Well, not to mention what else is at this apartment, which I mean, the scene is tough because Peggy has a contentious relationship. It seems like both with her mom and her sister in terms of just being easily frustrated by them. Yeah. And like lifestyle outlooks. Yeah. She know. feels like she's doing the right thing. And here, like she wants to visit, more, da, da, but da. like she is trying and yeah, they're just kind of guilting her like. Your dead father wants you to go to church. Yeah. We all have heard the term, the Catholic guilt, yeah. the Greek guilt. Got We've that used going. it too. Yeah. yeah. Everyone uses it. Yeah. And Peggy says that she doesn't want to go to church and she is capable of making her own decisions. And that's when her sister really twists the knife in and says, well, the state of New York didn't think so. The doctors didn't think so. Right. What specifically is she referring to the state of New York being involved with here? Like her custody being taken away or like a relinquishment or like she was held under a mental health order or something like that after what happened last season would be my guess okay yeah because i didn't know what she meant by that except you know she she had the content she had the issue with the doctor Mm -hmm. where she didn't want to stay there and then of course she was pregnant and didn't know it yeah like she was under like some kind of like a limited guardianship or something for that this the decision about her right it's interesting the the state gets and when the state gets involved i guess but i mean it's an interesting parallel in this scene about using the dad's death as guilt mm-hmm. versus pete being seemingly unable to feel those types of emotions any type of emotions mm-hmm. yeah i don't know there's just but there's just yeah there's some heavy family shit going on for both of them in different ways right the show's like okay we've got you to love our characters let's get fucking dark yeah let's see if you can let's handle see their it. trauma do you yeah. still love them now it's a show about trauma yeah yes. <laughs> yeah er 1962 it's just a show about trauma yeah <laughs> er trauma room yeah <laughs> Um, less traumatic, the card game, except for that. We learned that Betty is real sloppy about overbidding. She says she's just cautious. Right. And they're playing, what, I don't know what they're playing. I thought they were playing gin. gin. I don't know how or to play gin. Drinking it. I don't know. But I've played some bidding card games. And when you play with someone that is questionable with bidding, <laughs> it throws the whole strategy of the game into, yeah. uh, through a loop. I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm not good at those types of games i don't know anything about bidding or gambling right except what a parlay is yeah, which i learned from uncut gems and now i'm obsessed with like describing any conceivable situation as like making a parlay about it every time we go to vegas <laughs> we do a parlay because the money that you could win is like is so much yeah. more but it's like the biggest waste of money yeah. you might as well go bid on the same number five times in a row in roulette yeah. yeah. Your odds of winning in parlay. But I know why they're I fun. love the concept of it, though. Yeah. It's just so funny. It's like, well, the more things you add in, the more you can win. Yeah. And, oh. like, imagine if all of it goes right. Classic you're Vegas. Win. Right. It's just, it's <laughs> and just, you're like, yeah, everything's going to win. It's just baby. that gambling mindset of, hey, it's a lot of money. But what if you win? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the whole reason why people get addicted to gambling. It's anyway, just that thrill. From this, from that conversation to this obviously low stakes suburban game, uh, we get Bobby sneaking in some candy. Perfectly mm-hmm. legitimate move for a four year old, five year old. You gotta get that candy. Yeah, and at first they they're like Bobby, go to bed. They take Bobby upstairs finally, and Don is like, he said he saw a ghost. He was scared. And Betty's like, he's such a little liar. Doesn't Francine say that? 
No. Oh, I thought Betty. Francine said he's a little liar. Betty says. Francine's like, oh, well, they lie to see if it'll come true. Yeah. It's normal. Yeah, it's normal. But then Betty tells a story about how Bobby traced the drawing of George Washington or Abraham yes, Lincoln. Yes, George Washington. And then just presented it as his own. And the teacher was so proud. She hung it up. And then she later found, like, saw a picture in a book and he had just traced it exactly. Right. And Madman <laughs> Carousel makes a great point about this that Betty doesn't offer any proof that he actually traced it. She just assumed. Rather than just looking at the drawing and. Right. Like, there's no guarantee that Bobby actually traced the picture maybe he did hmm. draw interesting it well and betty was so quick to, to just assume, just assume as she says in the scene i'm perfectly aware of what little boys do yeah yeah you're all troublemakers and it's like just an odd assumption and yet another moment of like betty not really feeling picking it some out of where she stuff. doesn't need to yeah not really feeling this suburban children thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing with these you know five yeah. and seven year old kids that are living at her house right and don's pretty much silence once we get past well first he says hey my whole art department traces no and worries. then he's kind of silent and like betty's just going off on little boys and that and he's just got this look on his face like the fuck is she talking yeah, about like, where is this coming from yeah um and, and yet our second party starts to fizzle out yeah. in this one episode yeah and we learned that it's kind of like a part of a her annoyance is like part of a broader like child rearing debate where like she's you know rightfully so because she's the one that's at home with them most of the day but she's like wanting to like be more disciplinary when there's issues and like correct you know behavior stuff and dawn is like always on their side or like just happy to let the kids do what they want to do and it's like you know i have to be the i have to be the disciplinarian and you just could be like the fun parent that comes home at five and the kids like are so excited to see you right and it's perfectly reflective of their own views of their own childhoods where betty was clearly raised by a disciplinarian extremely negative reinforcing mother but worshipped her mother yeah don was barely raised by parents parents his dad kind of mm-hmm. and just says i don't want my children to ever feel like i felt probably yeah and so that's why they're taking these different positions but you're right betty's mm-hmm. the one there yeah you rebel against what you're the things that you didn't like about your own childhood sure I like i don't want to be like i never want to be like my mother i think it's natural you just yeah. want to do better yeah you know but it's debatable what the right tact is yeah and usually it's a balance of the two but mm-hmm. there's a complete imbalance of who's raising children. Right, yeah. In, the, in, the, in these days especially, it's yeah. like, yeah, one influence is much, much larger than the other. Yeah, now there's some good armchair psychology from us at Mad Men. And <laughs> Take that yeah. for what you will. So that scene's like wrapping up, and then Peggy is getting ready to leave her mom's apartment. And as she's leaving, her sister says, don't you want to say goodnight? Ugh. And she, on her way out, looks into a darkened room where there's kids and says goodnight. There's like a little baby and a little kid there. And the show prompts you to wonder, is that Peggy's kid? Did her sister have to take her kid under custody? And she says nothing. The kid, One of the older kids says goodnight, Aunt Peggy. Mm. Oh, she says, she, yeah. she looks in, 
looks at the three children in the room sleeping. One of one's awake and says, Good night, Aunt Peggy. Without saying a word, she leaves and closes the door. It's like it's very uncomfortable for her. It's harrowing. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's only safe to assume one of those is hers. One of those is her child, right? Well, that's what the show prompts you to believe. Yeah. And that makes it that much worse. Yeah. Where there's, she is such a disconnect. And then let's jump one more time. One more time. Back, Back to, to Betty and Don. Yeah. So Carlton and Francine have left. They're like cleaning up after the party. Betty's, you know, gossiping about Helen Bishop all these years later. Says she's like hanging out with this like fat, like superintendent at the school. And they're pretty chummy. Yeah. And then, yeah, Don brings it up. And I can't believe we didn't even mention it earlier. Carlton got fat. Yeah. He put on some weight. He's wearing Peggy's fat suit from last yeah, season. Yeah, they're like, great, let's just yeah, use it now again. Now that they have it, the spare. It's yeah. a spare now, so they can use it <laughs> any, any Every season, uh, one character is going to yeah. gain some weight because yeah. we we've can. we got yeah. it in the budget we've already. We've got one fat suit allocation. Yeah. So Betty says, I think it's nice because it shows that he's happy. You know, like he's enjoying life and he's eating a good meal and has a good appetite. Don's, Don's like, I don't know that I'd say that he's happy because he had heard this whole babysitter monologue. Yeah. He's eating some real pie instead of the pie on the windowsill he can't have. <laughs> <laughs> and then Betty just turns, like, just like it was last season, this is really a pressure point for her because it, it reflects her own anxieties about her marriage, this, like, underlying fear of cheating. Yeah. And she's like, well, he should be happy. Okay, maybe he is. should be happy and grateful. I'm showering Francine with love after what he put her through. Flashback to last season when Betty said, she hoped Prancine poisons him. Yeah. So, yeah. But that maybe he was just throwing her a surprise party. Yeah. Girl, your husband is just like a sweet guy. Throwing oh, a surprise party. Oh, God. No, 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 no. And then, even though Don says, I don't want to fight, those are words that lead to a fight. And then so Betty's pissed at him, and they just kind of like are annoyed. And then the kids. After a night of spying on their parents, you know, the kids, like, fell asleep, like, you know, sitting in the same bed because, you know, they're having their fun little night, seeing what the parents yeah. are up to. Secret spy mission. Yeah. And they got tired, so there you go. And then... Back to work. Back to work, where Duck is just going to go to the lowest low of sleazy capitalism and approach Pete about joining in on his little crusade to get American Airlines, not in spite of the fact that his father just perished on their flight, but because of it. Which Duck found out through the newspaper. Because, you know, again, this is a flight that lots of, you know, to-dos were on, and apparently his father would have been in that category if he were not fictional. And he likes to, he, like, cloaks this ploy in a, like... You always feel like you can come talk to me. Yeah, you know, and he butters him up. And we're he, a family here. And, you know, I think he maybe he even knows that Pete doesn't get enough, like, you gotta positive think, reinforcement yeah. from Don, so he's trying to give it. He's like, I'm the nice dad, and I he's th- the mean dad. <laughs> I think Duck, for uh, what we're learning about him, which we're definitely getting a heavy dose of Duck yeah. this season. Good eight ounces of Duck uh, <laughs> an episode. He... Uh, <laughs> he... It seems to be good at reading people, and I think mm-hmm. that's exactly what he's coming in to do. Yeah, uh, and so he's playing to that desire yeah. for validation that Pete has, and it even kind of ties into his father dying. Is he was always trying to make his father happy, right? But Pete says he's not ready for this, and even then, Duck is good about 
like backing away, not pushing him, saying it was inappropriate, yeah, etc., and leaving. But it just re-rattles Pete completely. And then we do see like. Even though Don or Duck has just buttered him up and kind of given him that like praise that he's been looking for, he still like sees Don as really his fatherly figure in the office. And so he, after a while, he goes down to Don's office wanting to to talk to him again. And I think it's I think it's to get like his take on the American Airlines. Right. Like, do you agree that I should I should pursue this? But Don is like not in a good mood. Yeah, why is he not in a good mood? Because Roger came in and told him he has to fire Mohawk. Yeah, after over his objection, and he has to be the one to do it, and it needs to happen now. Yeah, basically. what's Roger say? Take off your dress. Yeah, stop being a woman, basically, okay. is his argument. End of discussion. So Don's <sighs> father just comes in and says, Don's dad. End of discussion. Pete's grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> Roger. <laughs> Don. <laughs> This is just an episode of Dynasty. Yeah, no, it's like... <laughs> so Pete goes to, to me and Dad's office, to Don's office, and he wants he wants his take on it. But Don, yeah, Don's upset, and so he brushes Pete off. He's like, this isn't a good time. And Lois is like, you can always leave a note. People do that. Thanks, Lois. You learned one thing, but it's not how to fucking run Thanks, his office. <laughs> Pete's like... Uh, I who, cannot who write a note. Why won't you be my nice dad? <laughs> who are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, so Pete, like, leaves kind of dejected. Right. And now when the scenes, when he, before he goes into Don's, he asks Hildy first to call his wife. Yeah. Right? And then and says, for- no, wait a minute. You know who's better than my wife? My dad. Don Draper. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, he's just so lost and directionless in this no, episode. No, it's so sad. It's, it's tough. Even though, you know, Pete's a pain in the ass. Like, he's going through some real shit. Yeah. And he already had a lot of trauma in his relationship with his father. And now it's like it was unresolved. And then his dad died in, like, a really, like, sudden and horrible way. Well, and you just can't unload any of this on anybody. You can't tell Trudy. Yeah, because you have to be the then, strong husband. And yeah, but then she'll know he's poor and obviously will immediately leave. <laughs> no. no, I'm kidding. Trudy would never. But no. that's the... Uh, but yeah, he's, he's just, afraid of yeah. this this family shame, really. Right, yeah. and he just kind of walks into the ether <laughs> yeah. for, the, for the time being because we have to get back to the party that the episode opened with, with Joan telling me <sighs> it seems like a... Not it's really connected like a, a racy story. little story, story or like yeah. you know about about some kind of intrigue or maybe she's retelling a soap opera literally i can't remember but paul like comes up and interrupts her really brusquely and he's like he's mad because he found out from his girlfriend about how nasty joan was to her and joan just gets so smug about it She's like, oh, I like, I know what you see in her. And basically you're dating her because you want to date a black woman to seem interesting. Right. And Joan, he's like, oh Joan my is just God. repeatedly, her speech in this part is just stabbing Kinsey with a dull knife, basically. Yeah. It is it's the, really just nasty. painful and brutal. You know, we've seen Joan be kind of like manipulative or like a little petty before, but this is like really gross. Right. There's just so much going on here. And it's, you know, it's just when... You're talking to an ex or something, and you just can't even be. There's just things come out. Yeah, yeah. So and you say things that you probably should never have said. Feeling feelings are still hurt, and you're just going to take that out on the conversation. Right, but oh man, and, I mean, Kinsey ends up walking away with like just speechless. Yeah, like I can't believe how you're acting. But 
He has plots of his own, that's for sure. Which, really, way to to take the high road. (laughs) No, they're both, yeah, they're both being petty and nasty about it. And there's, like, this, like, scene of a dramatic, it's like a, you know, murder on the Orient Express, like, who done it? Like, you see, like, a man's arm reach into a locker, this Jones locker, take out a pocketbook and get something out of it. Oh, boy, what (laughs) is it? Oh, God. And then a little later, what happens? But something is posted in the employee break room. The copy room. The copy room. Yeah, because it's Peggy's office. Right. That's right. <laughs> a copy, because they know how to make those now, of Miss Joan Holloway's driver's license. What does it reveal? That she... It's in her 30s. Ugh. Wow. Just drop dead, why don't you? Terrible. God. As a woman in her 30s, I... Your life's over. Yeah, no. Pack it no. up. But she's like 31, and I think people either assumed or she kind of like held herself out as being in her 20s, like a lot of the, you know, receptionists are and even the younger account execs. Yeah. And so this is meant to embarrass her. And I think it works. Yeah. she first asks Peggy who did it, and Peggy just kind of smirks. And then says, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And she's like, I never would have guessed you were in your 30s. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she's 31 and she is hotter than everyone in this office. So right. shut up. And then she kind of goes on this like thing. People should not bring their personal problems into the office. I agree. Is it so hard to just leave everything at the door and just do your job? I look forward to it. They can't stand it. They'll drag you into the garbage out there. I just want you to be as miserable as they are. I say let them have it. And so I think she kind of knows. She has a sense that it was Paul that did it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't yeah. even think that, like, she it's in doubt. Uh, and I think Peggy, like, empathizes with this rant. Even though she, like, she couldn't keep herself from smiling. Yeah, we're still not sure if they're on it. good terms or not. Uh, yeah. But it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, just she how... just moved her into this office. Uh, she moves the copier into her office. Right, yeah. but as a punishment. Let's just say it's been a, a petty start to the season for Joan, and oh man, let's get even more painful. Now we're getting these short spurts of scenes, and yeah, they're all rough. Yeah. Don has to go to talk with the guy from Mohawk and let him know that they're dumping him. You know, he doesn't need to expressly say because we might get a chance at American, but. The guy seems to kind of know what's ha- what's knew. going when when they meet. Lamont, they talk about I think a bad is his name, Lamont. Yeah, yeah, and they talk about like if you think your breakup's gonna be messy, you should go somewhere in public, and yeah. that's what happens. So well, they go somewhere public. The first scene of this is just, you know, sets the tone and obviously puts Don on his back back feet because the guy comes in and says, "You know, I'm glad you picked this place. It reminds me of Pearl Harbor for many reasons." So right Ooh. there, yeah. You know, and that's and they are at a Japanese restaurant too to give this more context. Right, which Roger told Don to take him somewhere quiet that was out of public view. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a beautiful restaurant. Yeah, it looks awesome. Yeah. We would go there at first chance. Yeah. Anyway, clearly this is designed to like disarm whatever Don had prepared, and it's like I know exactly what's happening. And then Don is kind of caught speechless, and the guy's like, you still have to say... Yeah, you have to tell me that you're breaking up with me, basically. And Don Don tries to frame it like... um, The old, it's not me, 
It's, it's my friends. My, my, <laughs> it's <yeah>. my dad. <laughs> yeah. My, my dad's. My dad and my yeah. great uncle. Yeah, you're not Sterling and Cooper. And, you know, the guy, the guy kind of like, he lays it on Don hard. He doesn't let him off easy. He says. You know, when we came in there, they all said Sterling Cooper is Don Draper. You are the vision, visionary of the agency. And so... I doubt that you didn't have anything to do with this decision, basically. And he really gets at, like, it's kind of sad because we know that Don felt like it was nice to have, like, a smaller client that he could kind of build up and that yeah, he didn't he, want to do this. Yeah. He would turn them into a big airline. Now you're being dumped for a big airline, even though you said you would help me do it. Right. Yeah, I thought you supported me. Yeah, so this whole meeting lasts as long as the scene. Which is a couple minutes. The guy wa- doesn't stay, doesn't get a drink, no. doesn't do anything. Walks out and says, "Man, you really had me there." Yeah, that's um, tough. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what Don was worried about. Worried about. But the business is still churning with American Airlines. Duck has gone to meet. He's gone to the University Club, which is you know an ages old social institution they have multiple locations in every city we've been to the one here is that the one through work connections i didn't know that was the university club yeah and they have like reciprocal memberships like of the other ones but the the new york one is like one of the oldest and most um prestigious obviously so it's a social club duck is there and he meets this american airlines exec and pete shows up well first duck you know duck is like he's being a little too thirsty about wanting their business surprise surprise Duck is always but, a little too thirsty. But I mean, he's he's going for it, which is the point because now they've ditched Mohawks that they have yeah, to. Yeah, he's won, so now he has to hold up his side of the deal and try and get at least what he told the partners that yeah. he could get, which is at least a meeting, right? Yeah, like at least a pitch. Yeah, and then he brings in his secret weapon, Pete. Does he bring him in, or is this? <laughs> is, yeah, I mean, this is interesting. Does Pete just show up? Oh yeah, I never thought of that. I like he. Yeah, to me, Duck looks like he's got he's caught off guard mm, a bit. Mm-hmm. He recovers well and gives a great line about Pete. Shell, this is Pete Campbell. I don't think he's our best. I think he's the best. Then it's like the scene where in cartoons where a character, a little cartoon, sells their soul to the devil, and the devil has a pitchfork and horns. It's like. You see Pete just lose all of his scruples in pitching himself as best suited for this campaign because they killed his father. Right. Disgusting. You have to wonder if he had been able to speak to Don earlier in this episode, if he would not have come. Uh, Yeah. And I think that's absolutely the implication. And that's absolutely what Don would have said because Don would have been pissed that they're meeting with American Airlines anyway. At all. And, yeah, even though Don himself has, like, family issues, daddy issues, he still, like, sees himself as a type of person that would follow family morals over business opportunity. He now, likes to see himself right. that way. Now, does this seem to make waves with the American Airlines guy? We walk in before Pete gets there, and he's saying – the issue they're having is nothing they've done PR-wise has made a dent in what has happened with the shareholders. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, I think that he kind of is freaked out that they would take this tack. He's like, it's like fucked up that you would give me 
Right. But put someone's grief on as like a bargaining chip. But seeing where they're coming from, that's why they wanted Pete. That's why Duck wanted Pete there anyway. Yeah. Because it's like, listen, what would be a good sign that you're trying to like learn from this and recover from this? You give, you know, someone someone that was personally affected by it some sort of like voice. Yeah. It's horrible. I mean, yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's a decision. Capitalism at its, you know, finest finest point, you could say. But I think the guy is a little freaked out by it. Uh, I think he understands and, you know, he's sympathetic to, like, I think he's taking it back, too. I think he just doesn't really know how a good way to respond. This is how you guys did this. And so then they go eat dinner. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, the American. Look on Duck's face. God. He's like, hey, I put our name in. Should we go eat? Yeah. And And the guy's like, you just sold me, like, you know, some grief. Some Grim Reaper shit. I am very troubled by this. Right. I think the guy at first was like, even before Pete showed up, he was like, I was just telling Pete that we need to make some decision, or I was just telling Duck that we need to put some thought into this. Like, he was being very noncommittal. And then even after Pete showed up, while he was trying to be respectful to Pete, he was, like, still pretty noncommittal. Right. And that's right after Duck said, we dived in. We dove in. We cut ties with our airline, which a million dollars in billings. We've talked about how it's much like, money that is. That's a huge account for this firm. Yeah. Like, I dumped my girlfriend, so I'm ready to date. And it's like, well, I didn't say I wanted to date you. Right. So this is a little aggressive. I'm a movie star. Yeah. And I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Then... There was a little, a little more, a little small scene with Don at this restaurant. He's been drinking alone now after the guy left because he's feeling dejected. He's feeling shitty about like his accounts being kind of ripped out underneath him. And this like gorgeous, like gorgeous waitress comes over and she's wearing like a. It's like an emerald green dress. A Cheon Sam dress, or as they've sometimes were known in the twenties and thirties. A, a mandarin gown it's a kind of a classic like chinese dress that's like satin and um body hugging it has a slit and like a high collar though i'd hope that it is the variation of that because they're at a japanese restaurant no I, and i think that's part of the <laughs> part of the thing is yeah americans are they won't understand the distinction that's going on here that she's wearing a chinese style dress in Japanese restaurant. But anyway, hmm. this waitress is like gorgeous yeah. and she comes up and she drops like the heaviest line on Don, which is, I'm not your waitress, but are you all set here? Yeah, what a good way to get over your rejection issues to be propositioned by a hot stranger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the- Without even doing anything. It wasn't like he was making eyes at her or like, you know, she was not his waitress, as she said. Yeah. She just like was like this like hot dude is drinking alone here. Seems like he could use a little company. Everything's coming up Millhouse for Don. Yeah. This is just his charmed life that he lives. It's like, oh, well, we're going to balance everything out. Another Lose one of your, getting, you know, blown off by your, one of your clients. But he turns it down. Yeah, he does. So, unfortunately, our women's power ranking will remain at three for now. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just because he was, he was intrigued for sure, but I think he was just He thought about it. Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely like, not tonight. Yeah. But if I came in the other night, I'll be back. Um, and they're playing a really cool song during that scene. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we looked it up, and it's like the first Japanese language song to go to number one. Yeah, the song is, well, here it's called Sukiyaki. It has a Japanese title that translates to, I look up as I walk. Sukiyaki, though, means in English, it translates to a Japanese hot pot dish with cooked beef. And they basically were like, we're going to give this a name that, like, American people have heard before instead of, like, the name they cannot pronounce. Um, A Newsweek columnist at the time said that it was similar to renaming and reissuing the song Moon River, the Henry Mancini classic, if you released it in Japan and named it Beef Stew. Um, But, yeah, it's a really beautiful sounding song and it's playing in the background. Yeah, and according to Mad Men's, the Wikipedia on this particular episode the person that wrote sukiyaki died in a plane crash in 1985 oh wow i didn't catch so that. Uh, another yet another parallel Tie-in. to the tragedy that sits behind the storyline in this episode and then we get our last scene which they clipped from godfather uh, catholic baptism <laughs> catholic church ceremony yeah they did this cool cut scene too where they cut from like a japanese like window in the restaurant um like those traditional Japanese doors and then went into a stained glass window at the Catholic church. Yeah, and right into some Gregorian chants and uh, yeah, some... whatnot. And so we're with Peggy. She ended up going to church with her, her mom, family, even though yeah, she didn't want to. And her sisters. Um, but it. But she doesn't take communion. And instead, her sister gives her the, cry- the baby and the baby immediately starts crying as soon as Peggy holds it. Right, so we get this, again, this thought or implication of why Peggy's not taking communion. Is she even allowed to anymore? To send. Based on having the baby. Or does she just not want to? I mean, she didn't even want to go to church, and she says, yeah. like, she kind of talked about having a crisis of faith, and then she didn't have the yeah. drive do, much. Do all children it. cry when she holds them? <laughs> These are questions. Is she, that, yeah. <laughs> is she the devil incarnate? <laughs> and it's an yeah. omen situation, Mad and she's going to throw Lord. herself off? Mad Men leaves these unanswered for this episode uh-huh. as we finish up. All right, so that was season two, episode two. Flight one, confusingly. Yeah. (laughs) Who are you promoting this episode? It's not a lot of people to promote. Agree. In this episode. Everyone takes a lot of L's here. This was tough. I'm going to, you know, by default, just promote Don Mm -hmm. because he has a tough day of it, but still kind of sails through and. Yeah, and he tries to tried to stay true to his principles and asserted them as many times as he could sometimes when you lose you win because of the way you lose you know indeed it's one of those weird sports things that they say sometimes like they should be proud of that loss it's like that doesn't make any sense but (laughs) yeah you know he stuck to his His, game plan yeah at least as far as we can tell yeah um that's fair and so I'll, i'll give him the promotion what about you um, I also struggled to think of someone because everyone just has a rough time this episode. Um, so I thought of Trudy, who, you know, has to kind of navigate this uncomfortable situation with, you know, not only it's sad that her father-in-law has died, but the weird family dynamics surrounding that. She navigates those with grace. And when there's, you know, another scene that we didn't really talk much about, but where Pete is feeling upset that the last time that he spoke with his dad, he had argued with him, and Trudy kind of talks him through that, and is you can tell that even though he's searching for like a fatherly figure, she still is able to kind of comfort him and um, you know help him out through that situation. Yeah, and you know she's just really classy, 
gracious lady, except for her comments in the first scene. Now that I think of it, you know, she was a little, <laughs> little dicey about the neighborhood that Paul lived in. So I don't know. Perhaps no one wins this episode. She did walk away with a pink elephant, a ceramic elephant that was probably yeah. like some fancy, like British, yeah. like glass blower. So yeah. it was probably worth a lot of money. And she knows the difference between French bulldogs <laughs> and terriers. Yeah. That's a good, that's a plus as well. And she informs Pete about that. So, yeah. Overall, I think Trudy held her own this episode when a lot of other people flailed. Agreed. Who are you going to fire? Um, I'm firing Joan. Mm. She has a really, really just petty streak with this whole thing with Paul. And she takes it out on, you know, this poor woman that he's dating. And it has this really, really nasty racial bias. Then it's like obvious she's feeling uncomfortable and insecure about her age and things at work and her boyfriend and it's just like she is just struggling and taking and therefore taking it out on other people and it's just not a becoming look on her yeah i agree i mean joan's known in the show so far is just having such great quips and being so savvy and she just loses control here i feel like and especially when it's for kinsey over, it's know, like who cares Kinsey? just like, like that, live your life that he sucks you're dating a doctor which even though we know later he doesn't turn out to be a dreamboat but at the point she thinks she's like dating some like you know hunky doctor so i'm just like you yeah. should just be happy that you're doing your thing sometimes you just can't help but take the low road <laughs> and then sometimes people find out you're 30 and yeah. that's and what, that's a tragedy you know, as a th- recent 30 that's year old, a brutal I, l yeah <laughs> I had to start lying about my age. I'm going to continue to do that for 10 years. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) What do you mean you don't need to card me? (laughs) I get offended when they don't card me now. It hurts. It hurts. That's because I look old as hell. (laughs) When you marry Rip Van Winkle over here, you're not going to card you. Sugar baby. (laughs) I don't dress rich enough, unfortunately. (laughs) If you wore nicer suits, I'd get carded more. (laughs) That is a theory. (laughs) Speaking of suits, what's your favorite outfit? Um, even though she took the L. Joan in the green dress, is just a classic look. Mm-hmm. I nothing really stood out to me that much yeah, in this episode. It wasn't a big fashion um, episode, which is weird because there were two party scenes, a mm-hmm. uh, crazy scene at a Japanese restaurant. I mean, that dress was awesome, but it just wasn't the the glamour. This episode just didn't have the glamour that yeah. Mad Men sometimes like treads on. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, Joan just in the office in a green dress, it's like yeah. almost her trademark look when yeah. she wears that She looks green. gorgeous in green and red too, yeah. which is, you know, sometimes people warn redheads to not wear red, but for some she people, and Julianne Moore both yeah. pulled off well, yeah. so I don't see any for some, basis. For, for some that. redheads, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Um, I picked Trudy's kind of out of place party outfit. The overdress. Just, of yeah. course you did. <laughs> As someone who frequently overdresses for parties and any other social occasion, um, <laughs> I I loved like Trudy's. She dressed like the girlfriends in like Animal House, like where they're like oh, that, the, the girlfriends of like the frat. Yeah, the like with that one time, like the guy, what's his name, Flounder brings like, this is your, like, brings his yeah. girlfriend up from high school like up for a weekend party, and she. It's like a toga party, and she shows up in, like, this big, like, frilly, like, dress. Like, Trudy's doing that, like, frat formal of the 60s look at, like, a house party. But she looks just so, so precious in her plaid. 
and purple dress and i liked it i don't know no that's fair i mean it's your favorite all right your favorite quote i have two actually so okay you go ahead then okay one is practical advice my mother says when you can't feel your cheeks it's time to stop clever way to say that but it really (laughs) when i was watching this like the first time around is you know a recent drinker well (laughs) before i was 21 so i didn't drink i'll tell you but when i contemplated when i turned 21 what it would be like (laughs) if i drank um (laughs) that that like concept really like stuck with me and it really gets at the kind of feeling of like when your body like responds to alcohol that's when you know that it's hitting you and that's you need to be aware of those cues that is a good line yeah yeah my other was this just forward forward line by the waitress of i'm not your waitress are you all set here like damn girl you got some game to like throw Draper off of his, like, he was taken aback. He, like, he said, excuse me. And then he says no, and she just smiles and walks away like it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah, those are good ones. Yeah. I guess I would end up going with Peggy's rejection of the guy at the party, I think is a (laughs) good one. Yeah, that was great, too. Just, like, a flex of her job position and also, like, you can go home now, little boy. Yeah. (laughs) Fun times. Thanks. Yeah. So precious. Fun but time's over. <laughs> yeah. All right. What about Sterling's gold? Uh, my Sterling's gold is just his absurd analogy and shot at John Glenn in the in the elevator in the, elevator in the first yeah. scene. Yeah. It's just like, what a way to put it. The guy yeah. went into space. I don't give a shit. He's screwing up my parking. Honorable mention to his implication esque <laughs> identification of flight attendants as captives yeah and that kind of that that again relates back to like the conversation from last episode of like flight attendants in this time period being really sexualized and like kind of seen as just like a plaything for like businessmen and that's right they were just doing the ads for mohawk last episode and that just was literally crashed and burned this episode yeah oh crazy and Um, like a further a further kind of implication is it's like the implication. One, it's the implication. One thing they were talking about with the Mohawk ad was like depicting like Native American women as stewardesses, but like they said, but with the cheekbones. And so there's sort of this like also idea of like the fetishizing like other races of women as kind of like this mystical force that can be captured. And, you know, so they had that kind of that element of it too. Plus, they explicitly talk about how in an airline ad, you don't want to freak anyone out. Yeah. So, got a lot going on that. Wow. Well, yeah, a lot in the airline biz. <laughs> My favorite is for Sterling's gold is when Don is like, you know, mad at Roger that they're gonna risk a million in billings for possibly seven million, and he says to Roger, "What kind of business do we want to be?" Roger says, "The kind where everyone has a summer house." And he says it in that cutesy way. Yeah. It's clearly a joke just to rile him up. But it's just like, oh, man. God, Sterling. It's great. We've got him back just like full health again. Yep. And he's ready to drop some some bombs. And today I'm going to introduce a new category for you. Oh. (laughs) Which is the hottest of the episode. Oh, wow. My pick is the waitress. Interesting. She's a babe and, you know, she was assertive. I think it's pretty hard to go against that. But I next mean, next time. You gotta be prepared. It might even, you know. We'll see. You yeah. gotta be prepared if it's a guy too and no, be willing to consider 
the sexiest. You don't need to lecture me on <laughs> considering this in uh, Mad Men. Okay? <laughs> if yeah. someone deserves it, they deserve it. Yeah, our interesting. New, our new guest star a was season, the winner. A for season this two uh, edition. edition. Let's make this podcast even more yeah. shallow than yeah. it is already. Let's, let's get real grimy with it, kind of <laughs> like the characters have been. Yep. All right. Season two, episode two, flight one. Is a 7.9 rating on IMDb, which is good for number 87 out of 92. Yet again with Mad Men, the slow starts... Just above the last episode, yeah. yeah. The slow starts uh, apparently bother the fans on IMDb. But uh, where would you rank this in terms of this versus episode one? They're pretty comparable, I feel like. I personally prefer the previous episode. And I just like kind of the storylines better. I like the relationship exploration. I like that it's, I know you're smirking. I like that it's on Valentine's Day. And I like, I always like, I like season openers, you know, when it's like, let's catch up with everyone and see what everything's doing. I like kind of being thrown into the, into the mix with it, but it's close. And, you know, this episode was interesting in, in its discussion of and showing like the, the trauma and like the. The heavy shit that everyone is dealing with um i just personally preferred the previous episode because it kind of threw a lot at us as to where everyone was after a couple of years yeah i agree they're pretty close um i'm gonna i think i go with the second one here mm-hmm. um just because i don't know i love seeing how these characters deal with tragedy so poorly mm-hmm. and i love seeing how these characters deal with each other so poorly <laughs> where yeah. which they did a good job of that last episode too but mm-hmm. I mean, this season has just started out, like, ready to be darker and harder to parse even than season one, which is crazy for yeah. Mad Men. But, yeah. So I, I think this was a good building block from the first episode. Yeah. So, but we're not into the, the grid of season two yet. No, we're not. So we will see you shortly. Yes. For episode three. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Rating. Review, review and please. subscribe. We have a couple of reviews on iTunes, and it really warms my heart so much. So thank you guys for doing that. Yes, we appreciate it. And um, yeah, follow us on Instagram at Mad Men and Andy Tonic. You can't use symbols in an Instagram username, so we are Andy there and ampersand here. But yeah, we will see you guys next week. And thanks again. Take care. Ciao.